This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. Welcome to Season 3 of the iMarket Podcast. The theme of the season is around leveraging technology to put the consumer first. My name is Waidera Kabiru, also known as a digital diva, and I will be your host this episode. In this episode, we will be unpacking AI, IoT, and blockchain and how marketers can leverage these technologies in Africa. Many say that these technologies are key to unlocking and leapfrogging Africa's growth in this fourth industrial revolution. However, lack of skilled professionals, lack of funding, and skepticism are some of the factors holding us back. We speak to John Kamara, a dynamic tech entrepreneur actively involved in cutting-edge technologies such as IoT, AI, blockchain, and crowdfunding. With an impressive career spanning global technology giants like Google, Sun Microsystems, and Digicel, he's dedicated to propelling Africa into the fourth industrial revolution and driving impactful change. John has captivated audiences across continents at renowned events like the AI Expo Africa and Africa FinTech Summit. He has been sharing his insights on leveraging smart technologies to address socio-economic challenges in Africa. Having founded and sold his first successful tech startup, Spade Social, he now devotes his time to mentoring and aspiring entrepreneurs and fostering the growth of tech-driven companies from Africa. John Kamara is the founder of Adnian Labs. Okay, first things first, John. So there's a lot of talk about AI in the recent months, especially since ChatGPT launched last year. What would you say... Or how would you define what AI is? Thank you very much, Waitara. Um, AI is basically the ability for man-made intelligence to do things quicker, faster, and in ways that you can't compute. So if you think about it from the perspective that if I can see one, a man-made intelligence can probably see one multiples of one at the same time. And that's really the only difference when you think about what is AI, is the ability for a man-made intelligence that we build to do things faster at a sequence that we can't process in real time. So then would you say that this man-made intelligence tool or platform has evolved over time to what AI is right now? I mean, AI has been around for years. Okay. It didn't just start today. Okay. I mean, it's been around since the 18th century. Uh, it's evolved in the late 50s, early 60s to more an intelligent form of decision processing. Now we have chat GPT and all these things that you're mentioning. But there's been lots of AI tools. But the, the, the thing is, it's now at the forefront of everything that we do. Why? because we live in a very connected world. So you would say perhaps internet connectivity and things like that have accelerated the evolution of AI? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was watching something by David Bowie the other day, and um, there's a, also, George Orwell wrote this book in about 1984, The Way the World Would Change. And there was this interview that David Bowie got when he talked about this thing called this internet the way that it will change the world in ways that you can't understand. Well, guess what? 20-something odd years later, we're grappling with the way this connected world is changing. 
Yeah. You know, for for some of us, you know, we didn't grow up in the age of the internet. And we watched maybe the Jetsons and thought, my God, that is, I mean, cars that fly, that are self-driving or, you know, I think the Jetsons for me reminds me of how much we've progressed since then. But for those, you know, who've been born digital natives, what really is different or what, how would you say they need to embrace AI differently? I mean, for those of us who were born before the internet or for those of us who were born after? Look after. <laughs> <laughs> the mean, digital natives who were born yeah, with the, this, a phone in it, their hands. These ones have no concept of anything that you're talking about. Okay. Their, their concept and objective reality is about now, fast, quick, everything has to happen. So they, they don't live in the same world that you live in. If you think about the theory of multiple universes, they live in a whole different multi-layer of a universe where they see the world differently, they transact with the world differently, and for them, AI is a companion. It's not a problem. It's a companion. It's what they need to do the things that we need to do at the speed in which they want to do those things. So their, their philosophy of how AI should work or what and, and even if you look at the people who are driving a lot of the ai i mean some Altman, how old is he yeah how old is he i don't know he's in his 30s <laughs> okay wow well, i think less wow so i mean there's these new kids who are driving another ai opposition in france i think they're like in their late 20s again so they are charting new versions of reality and for them remember this is reality so it's a reality, it's real for them. For you, it's like, whoa, this thing is happening. And we, for them, this is the reality that they want to, that they are currently living in and that they want to live in. And this is just enhancing that reality. Yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of that, you know, this evolution of AI, what does that look like on the African continent? I can imagine, you know, AI is borderless. It's, and so that means, you know, we should actually be on the same page as the rest of the world, right? <laughs> is that the case? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Good question for the African continent. Our kids are no different. Okay. They are smart. They are intelligent. They, they can also build amazing things. But we have some critical problems. First of all, we don't have the infrastructure to compete at this level. What sort of infrastructure are you referring to? Infrastructure, it's all about education. We don't, that is the basic fundamental. So a capability issue? Yes, okay. a talent issue. The basic fundamental infrastructure mm-hmm. is talent. Mm-hmm. We don't have how many AI engineers you have in Kenya, like mm. real proper AI engineers. But it's such a new field. I mean, which university teaches AI? Again, so back to that fundamental problem. In yeah. France, they've been teaching AI from the 90s. Gotcha. In the U.S., they've been teaching AI from the 90s. You see, in Africa, the African parent wants either you become a doctor, it's, engineer, or lawyer. I, I so I this is new. I think it's the African parent. Okay. I just think it's... Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Yes, it's, it's the way that we as a continent, you know, don't understand the consistent transitional nature of technology. Okay. And how that has to be embedded in our education system, how the reforms consistently has to be part of the education system so that, you know, my, my daughter was learning stuff around AI from when she was seven years old. Yeah. She's, not in Africa. No, she's okay. 16 now. So imagine yeah. her thought process. Yeah. So our university or our education systems are not evolving fast enough to catch up with we, the new reality. We need massive reform in our education system 
we also then need to do intentional things to actually say, okay, where do we start? Because this battle for what will happen is already happening. And countries like India, Indonesia are reforming even their developers. They're beginning to provide, you know, um, capacity. So there's something that I talked about when I was in Paris at the World AI Conference, which was qualitative human capital rather than quantitative human capital. So we count a lot on quantitative human capital and the value of quantitative human capital is not a lot. Whereas qualitative human capital means that you can actually calculate the value of the capital of each human based on the new technologies that have been built. And that qualitative value will, when you draw the line, you would see how it would change your society. But one would also argue, I mean, if you just go back to the education system that you know, in my early years in university in the 90s, I'm scared to say that. I mean, I, I, I started studying computer science. Yeah. And one of the reasons I dropped it as my major is because I realized by the time I was going to graduate, the coding I was learning, which was early coding, I can't remember the language, maybe C, C, C plus of something. C plus plus. C plus plus, those ones. Which, um, <laughs> and I realized, speaking to my professors, that by the time I was going to be graduating, they would be obsolete. So it goes back to the you know evolution of our educational system. Is this really sustainable? Because uh, technology and the evolution is so fast, it's so rapid. What other ways can we ensure that we're upskilling or building capability of our young talent in Africa, considering that in Africa we have, what, over 60% of the population is under the age of 30? That does not exist in any other continent around mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is quantitative. Okay. But it's not qualitative. Okay, so explain again quantitative versus qualitative human capital. Quantitative human capital. We have a lot of people, yes. young, who are ready for the workforce. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Okay. So that's what we layer on. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of young people. Great. But what is the quality of well, each that's... of those young people? You know, when you draw a graph of each young person from Kenya to Chad, to Mali, to Niger, to Malawi, and you draw a line and you see what is the qualitative value when you take a median average, what is the qualitative value of our human capital because that is what would change your GDP. Okay. So in India, okay. they've invested in qualitative human capital for the past 20 years. So what okay. do you see? You see a lot of Indians who run major tech companies. Right. And you see those Indians now bringing back into their society. Now India is going to build probably the largest workforce of data scientists, data engineers, or AI engineers, because they, are, they see where the future is going. So qualitative human capital is what we must focus our energy on, you know, that how do we take this quantity and make it quality? Absolutely. And that's where, when you look at AI, AI leaves in the realm of qualitative human capital, because if you're quantitative, you're consumers. Yeah. That's all you'll ever be. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll consume. You'll consume, you'll consume. You would not produce. And if you don't produce, you have no power. Yeah. That's a very strong statement. If you do not produce, you have no power. So if I'm a marketer today, I finished my university, I've been working for two years, three years, ten years, whatever. What do I need to do today to be able to, you know, be that producer? You know, to be able to build brands that are actually producing for consumers. I think media marketing is one of those first industries that will feel the impact yeah. of AI. Yeah. Uh, Where are you feeling it? <laughs> so, um, I think so. I think first thing, every young marketer who's coming out of university, you need to equip yourself with some basic computer skills. 
you know, and when we say digital skilling, you need to equip yourself with some basic life skills. Like, you, you know, it's like you're swimming in this ocean, this consistent ocean that is changing. So the life skills, number one life skills, go to a basic course. I'm not saying be a developer or no. Understand what is AI, what is data, how is data transforming the world, and how can I use this? And what are the tools then that I need to use behind the scenes? Because your job will change. Your job is no longer the way it was three, four years ago. Yeah. They're nineteen year old kids sitting in their bedroom. Who can do that job just using a machine intelligence? Yeah. So what you have over them is your creative ability. Because still AI can't. You know. And and commercial acumen as exactly. well. Yeah. But you know, your creativity is the first thing that dif- yeah. differentiates you. So if you don't embed yourself in the knowledge that your single source of truth is educate it's knowledge. You're right. And you have to keep seeking that knowledge because the world you live in, unfortunately, it changes every single year. Yeah, that's so important. And I you know, I'm so glad you said it that that whole continuous learning is so key for marketers today, right? To stay up to date. So there's this whole thing of AI is gonna take away jobs from marketers. Yes. What's your point of view on that? Yes. It is. Yes. <laughs> okay, done. Podcast over. <laughs> no, 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 no. Will it take away some jobs? Yes. Temporarily because of the frenzy and your consumers will use it. You know, people are people are like sheep. If something happens, everybody says, Now I can write my press release with ChatGPT. I don't need that company anymore. Now I can do that with chat so you know, and there's all new things coming out. So you will face it, but this is where you reforming your industry. You still have a massive role. So the change, the dynamic change is in that knowledge, the acquisition of knowledge to say we're still extremely relevant because we're the ones who actually do this work. You know, yeah. yes, we can leverage a bit of AI to do it faster, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will, it will take away. Our, so you, some people who are, redundant in knowledge will be redundant and the ones who embrace knowledge and who begin to figure out how do i use this technology to make my work better how do i use it to chart uncharted regions of what i can do how do i use ai to do new forms of sentiment analysis in marketing for example how do Mm. i use it to do new forms of consumer engagement how do i build new conversational models that allows me to talk to my small customers how do i personalize it's still a human that will drive those infrastructure values so with that if you change the way you think so the new ones who are coming in are the ones who will take your job not necessarily (laughs) that's true i mean and speaking i mean of generative ai i I agree with you i mean from a productivity point of view from strategic thinking point of view it can really enhance what we're already doing what about from a organizational culture point of view and think about the you know we're sitting in africa how the the different kinds of cultures that exist in the organizations you have you work a lot with medium-sized enterprises large corporates, multinationals, what would that do for the culture? I think first, it'll make things a bit cheaper initially, you know, because, you know, price Efficiencies, points, yeah. Price points are a lot of what, because now you don't need 50 people to do the same thing. So you, if you're doing the same thing for me, you can charge me less because your cost of ops has reduced dramatically. Absolutely. So that means you can offer me a better pricing, you can offer me a much more personalized service, but also in organizations, 
unfortunately, you will get rid of people who like to please you. <laughs> Say that louder. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, you'll get rid of people who like to please you. People who just, you know, there's a lot of big organizations who carry people so we can be seen to carry this massive amount of people. But half of them are quite entirely useless to, you know, in terms of your productivity because only 20% of the people ever really produce for you. 80% of the work. Yes. Yeah. What if you could compensate those 20% much better and the remaining 80%, you retrain them or, you you know, it's like, again, there's a cycle where those 80%, you know, another 20% can go into... So it, it doesn't... The, the cycle of life doesn't necessarily change. It's just how we look at it and how we use this transformation for our own personal change. So a lot of organizations will change. Big companies, you know, you can see it already happening. You know, in this bearish market where big corps are letting people go left, right, and center, uh, did you need all those people to do all that stuff at Twitter? Maybe not. Did you need seven people to do one person's job? Maybe mm. not. Mm. You know, maybe you need another type of person. But I also think it gives a lot of people a bit of a kick to go learn something and become responsible for your life and stop blaming, you know, things. Because these things will keep happening. Yeah. And I like that thing of, again, back to continuous learning. Again, back in my uni days, actually high school, I thought I, was, I wanted to become a lawyer. And another reason why I didn't become a lawyer is because I felt, my God, I will always have to be reading, you know, cases from the past and all that. And that reading thing, you know, when you're in high school, you're like, I'm really... I'm done. I'm done. But in our roles today, to stay up to date and relevant, it's continuously soaking in that knowledge and I think the advantage we have is the accessibility of that content. Um, what do you do to stay up to date, um, you know, with what's new, emerging, evolving? How do you explore trends? I think you have to look at industry-specific knowledge and how that applies to technology. So, there's, I mean, the internet is great. It, it's provided you with a place to do all your research. You don't even have to pay for it. You just need to pay with your time. And do most people invest the time? They don't. Then they say, oh, well, you know, I, well, there's nothing like, oh, well, I couldn't. You can. You know, do you invest the time to do the research required? Okay, what are the new things happening in marketing? What are the new things happening with AI marketing? How do we collect data right now as a marketing organization? How do we use yeah. that data for intelligence? How do we create more personalized value for our customers? Because at yeah. the end of the day, it's down to your customers. You know, how do we build models that allow us to understand people better? Yeah. You know, how do I know when John wakes up, that's when I should send him an advert because maybe John doesn't see any advert throughout the whole day because he's so busy. I only have an hour. Right. But just by the way, currently is, you wouldn't know that John has an hour. Right. But if you harness data coming from John using his device to you, yeah, you could see that there is a pattern. John is always online for one hour. Yeah. That's when he hits my platform. Yeah. So that is intelligence. Shall yeah. I take that intelligence and then apply it to my with my creativity to say this is the only time that I would try to talk to John. Absolutely. So just moving back to, you know, the state of AI and technology in Africa. You recently wrote an article in the Star newspaper where you passionately stated that 
Africa must embrace and adopt AI as a key, if not the most important form of technology, to make sure we're truly part of the fourth industrial revolution. What does that look like for Africa? Why, why are you so passionate about this? I'm passionate about the young people in this continent. Um, what are we going to leave them if we don't ask ourselves intentionally the question to create societies where they can thrive and societies where they can compete at a global level? Right. And, and the standards mustn't be an Africa standard. It must be a, how do we compete global. on a global standard? See, the, the idea that, oh, we should treat ourselves differently just because we're Africans, our standards should be less objective from a global perspective i disagree and that's also part of the fallacy and the problems that is also existing within our society so we have these standards oh just because we're africans we shouldn't we're not expected well we are expected to be at a global standard so if we are asked out of ourselves so with that you ask yourself well where is the instant opportunity you know i was talking to a friend of mine we talked about digital skilling for africa and one of the things i said look for me i i think yes every african should have some kind of digital skill but if we're a bit selfish and we look at it and say okay in any given country where is the jobs right now the jobs are in data scientists mm. the jobs are in ai the jobs are in data engineering the jobs are in cyber security the jobs are in blockchain technology so maybe if i train a lot of young people <laughs> in those jobs now yeah they can sit here in kenya they can sit in nigeria they can sit anywhere and actually conduit that FDI for me. And I build an export market, but I generate wealth. And Look using that wealth, mm. those young, same young people sitting there will start building new forms of organizations. And that is where that $13 trillion market, which is growing every year. So where do we participate in that? So again, back to what I said in the beginning, if you don't have the fundamental element, which is the talent, the skills, the expertise, there's nothing you can do. Gotcha. You know, you know, there, and not to, you know, negate what's happening in the continent. Of course, there are a lot of young entrepreneurs, developers, you know, who are doing amazing things, but the scale is not there. And the exposure or by scale, I mean, outside of the continent is not there. I mean, Nigeria has so many, you know, I don't want to call them startups, but basically opportunities or where they're leveraging data and technology to provide solutions to businesses, but it stays just there in Nigeria or maybe Kenya or South Africa or wherever and not scaling outside of the continent. Yet we, for many, many years, as we know, have been the recipients of those same sort of platforms, technology solutions from outside. What needs to shift? Mental psychology. Tell me more about that. <laughs> I, I think I always refer to a story when I was um, called the HTML India. Remember back in the days when you wanted to build a website? Uh-huh. What did you do? You found some Indian developer? Yeah. You sent him a message? Uh, you even paid him up front. But you never saw him, did you? No. He exported his skills and his technology to you, and he built it. Or So imagine that we here, you know, if we don't change the psychology that we can build products for a global market, that our skills are transferable on a global scale, and some little by little we're seeing that happen, that is all that needs to shift. Because, again, we're being told that, oh, only build products for your market. You have specific problems. Mm. So the people Mm-mm. who are also 
you know, writing the stories for us or making sure that, you know, we consistently, you know, are the breakfast on the table. Because the moment we realize that we actually do have a seat, we're not the breakfast. So who needs to own this this change? This mind? Is it government? Is it All private sector? Yeah, government, is it... government is not enough. Government will only do what it can. Mm. Private sector mm. is the driver for lasting change. Mm. A unified private sector. Private sector that is actively thriving with an intentional view to change an ecosystem right and to say you know we can and how we also raise our young people give you an example we have a lot of countries in africa a lot of startups or organizations when you talk to them they talk about their own country right but the opportunity is africa you need to go cross-border yeah when you talk to an international company coming they say we're going to africa yeah but when you talk to us yeah i'm in kenya i'm in rwanda I'm because again mentally we haven't shifted to the fact that we are a borderless ecosystem. Correct. And my market opportunity is actually the 1.3 billion people or the next country next door to me. When you then say the biggest shift for Africa in the short term for this intra-Africa trade is actually technology. Not even goods. Mm. Is because it's easy to move technology from here to Zambia. Yeah. It's hard to move tomatoes yeah. from here to Uganda. Yeah. And let's just go back to the role of government. In a recent interview, in the lead-up to the AI for Leaders conference that was recently held here in Nairobi, you spoke about the importance of government and leaders in industry, actually, coming to the table and how they would actively contribute to Africa's contribution to this $13 trillion industry. Your organization recently signed an MOU with Nairobi County. So are these kind of partnerships what you're talking about and what else needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, those are, those are you know, little, you know, things that we as an organization intentionally can do. How do we help the, the county drive the, you know, adoption and also the capacity to build more type of, you know, what I call future work opportunities. So if, what if Nairobi City was known as the home for data sciences globally. And anybody who is looking for a data science would think, let's go to Nairobi. Right. You know, like you build an identity yeah. as a city, as a country, yeah. you know, of what it is. That like I, what Silicon Valley Exactly. This is what I'm really be, good at. You right. know, we haven't chosen that identity yet. We want to be everything to choose each, each country. Imagine choosing a specific identity. Right. And driving deep into that identity. Yeah. And using that to then create a trickle down effect. And I think governments are a critical part of it. And, you know, less we talk about, I know policies are important. Even in Europe, you know, European government officials are still trying to grapple with what really is this air and what is the monster that is going. So how do you regulate when you don't understand yet, right? Maybe we should focus on how do we build value first. Mm. So I call it AI for social and commercial good. Okay. Both have to live together. And then as a part of public service. Yeah. So if we also look at the commercial good part, then we will say, okay, what do we need to attract and harness the commercial value of this change in industry, of this dynamic monster that is just, you know, rolling out in front of us? Yeah. You know, because the social part is great. Yeah. And it will be part of the framework of how the commercial value helps countries. But if we focus too much on the social, 
you lose out so you have to have a balance yeah commercial value yeah. of providing jobs here yeah building r d opportunities yeah. building you know our own wakanda yeah <laughs> no i mean it's you're spot on because if there's there has to be a value creation model efficiencies realized effectiveness all that kind of stuff what is it doing to grow the economies but you mentioned something that's interesting you said how do you regulate when you don't even understand the technology there's a lot of ambiguity still around all these different technologies not just ai iot all the others yeah. uh, you can name them so how how even as you know local governments in africa able to make sure that we are regulating properly and not stifling you know advancement or creativity I mean, just bring it back home to your organization, mm-hmm. for example, the Marketing Association, right? Marketing Society of Marketing Kenya. Marketing Society of Kenya. Yeah. Imagine if you intentionally provided knowledge for a lot of people in your industry around these smart technologies, NFTs, AI, how they use it, and you use that knowledge to give them real practical experiences. And when they go back to their organizations and where they're making decisions, they're able to make better, more informed decisions. Yeah. But unfortunately, most of them lack knowledge. Right. The second part of knowledge is not just what you read on the internet. Mm. It's also how you embed that knowledge into a framework of that particular industry. Okay. And you feed those people, again, intentionality, that piece of knowledge. Mm. And they take that piece of knowledge. So imagine their organizations is like a little government. They can mm. go back into their organization. Mm-hmm. So that is also where you see the advancement from a marketing perspective, even in Africa. Mm. Interesting perspective. <laughs> so now when you now flip that into government, yeah, you appoint someone as a commissioner, director, whatever. Maybe the guy came as a teacher and you assume that he should know what to do. Mm. And he makes his decisions based on his thought process mm. or based on people who are advising him. And the rest of us sit out there and say, well, why he's not doing the right thing? But we assume too much mm. just because someone is appointed mm. that they should know what to do. Mm. So providing knowledge, again, capacitating government officials mm. with the basic knowledge so they understand each piece of this puzzle mm. so that in their decision-making processes, they can see the value on every side. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you so much, John, for being our guest on the iMarket podcast. It's really been an interesting conversation. I've learned a few things here, and I hope our, I know our audience will pick up several things that they can learn and implement and execute. I'm really excited about the future for Africa, and I'm glad that you're in this space. Thank you, John. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM.